write to you. Exodus chapter 40. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's word. Would you please follow along with me as I read aloud Exodus chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put in, in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the gold, golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anoint their father that they may serve me as priest. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations." This Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its base, he laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars and he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles of the ark and set the mercy seat above, above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil on the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, which, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. 
When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they watched as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. May God give us understanding in this last chapter of Exodus that we look at this morning as we preach. May God open our hearts to make, to have understanding, to make proper application in our own lives. Would you please bow with me for a moment of prayer? After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word in this text. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for waking us up this morning, giving us a heart, a mind, means of transportation to get here, and uh, a meeting place where we can meet and fellowship, worship you, and uh, proclaim your truth and your word and encourage and fellowship with one another. We pray that you bless the meeting together today that we do in this place, and not only us, Lord, but all who gather in your name today. We pray for those who couldn't be with us today. We think of Sister Bonnie, who is in the uh, rehab center for her uh, physical rehab that she needs for her body. We just pray that you will continue to bless her, allow that to go well. I uh, believe she's probably listening to this broadcast at this very moment. We pray that she would understand that we miss her very much. We love her. We thank you for the times that each uh, individual has had time to visit. We pray that you just continue to, to bring about a healing and encouragement uh, with her, Lord, with her body, with her, her, her mind, her spirit, as she has to be patient these next few months uh, while you work on her body. So we pray that you would watch over and bless. We thank you for Bill, who's here this morning. We thank you for uh, just taking him through his own ordeal, Lord, and pray that you would just continue to strengthen and bless him uh, as he cares for himself, as he cares for his wife. We thank you for their family who's been helpful in just ministering to them. We pray your blessing on that family as a whole, Lord. We pray for others, Lord, who've gone through tests, who've gone through procedures, who've gone through doctor visits and issues that abound. And we know, Lord, these physical bodies have limitations, and so we give it over to you to to sustain us for your purpose and for your glory. So we pray just that, that you would sustain your people, that you would meet them where they are, that you would be with their physical needs and allow their faith to be in you, Lord, and, and that dependency on you, to trust you for physical needs, for, for sustenance, for keeping both physically and spiritually, Lord. We depend on you. So we give each saint over to you, Lord, for, for that work that, that is needed in their life, physical and spiritual. Bless this day now as we hear your word. 
open our hearts to receive your truth and to take it in. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. of his people. God looked down on his people in Egypt and saw the burden and the distress that was placed on them and he responded to their need. When none else could help and come to aid for them, God came for his people. The Bible says when we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unable to do anything spiritually for ourselves, the Bible talks about us coming to relationship with God like the physical birth of a child. That's a, a something that happens outside of the child itself. The child does not bring itself into existence. Something else happens apart from that child. And so it, is, so it is with our spiritual life, that we don't bring ourselves into spiritual life. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, God then intervened then into our life. When we uh, uh, were dead, he came in and gave us life. So it is here with Israel, they were slaves under Egypt, and God came in and set them free. What did he do to set them free? He battled with the one who was master over them. And we see that great battle here in Exodus that God lets his leader Moses know that he's sending Moses to come to deliver his people out of the, uh, the arm, the control, the bitter uh, um, grip, bitter grip that Pharaoh had on them. And he told Moses, Pharaoh's not going to release them except by the work of a mighty hand. He didn't mean Moses' hand. He was talking about his own hand. It was God who was going to bring deliverance from his people, and he sent Moses to do that. We know the ten plagues that God used to, to show who is God, who is supreme over all. He wanted Israel to know that. He wanted all to know that, including Pharaoh, and all of, his, all of his household, all of his leadership, all of his team, he, he made it clear that God is sovereign and ruler over all. Is God doing that in your life? Is he making it clear to you that you should have no other gods before him? You should serve him and him alone. You belong to him. He gave you life. And he redeems you from sin, and so you are his. So the picture of Israel before God is a picture of the sinner before the holy God that God brings that sinner to, to, to salvation. He delivers them from sin. After God delivers them from sin, 
he gives them some instructions which include how they were to remember this act that he had done. One of the first things that he did was to institute this Passover supper, this Passover meal that they were to take. It's called Passover uh, because of the angel that God has sent upon all that land, Israel and Egypt, to bring death to every household, the firstborn in every household, unless they would put blood on their on the top, the door uh, post and the door lintel and the door post. When he saw that blood, he would pass over that household. <clears throat> they were to remember this great act of God. During that night, there were screams. There, there, there was grief all over the land. Every household that didn't have blood across its door had a death in that family. God destroyed in that family unless he saw the blood. And so Israel was to take a lamb. They were to set it apart. On the 10th day of that first month of the year, they were to take that lamb, set it apart until the 14th day. And on the 14th, they were to kill that lamb, and then they were to eat it. They were to roast it. They were to eat it. And by the way, they were to eat it quickly. There was a reason for that. They were to eat it with what they call unleavened bread. And unleavened bread was, was purposed. Uh, it was unleavened because they didn't have time for the, for the bread to bake and to leaven as they, as in a normal process. They were in a hurry. That's the whole point. And so every time they, each year after that, when they celebrated the Passover, they were to have a feast of unleavened bread when they would prepare bread, not the normal way, but because they were in a hurry, they were to, to not wait for the bread to, to rise, to, for the yeast action to take place. And so they were to eat the bread, eat the meal, and that same night, they, uh, Egypt, the people of Egypt uh, begged them to leave, begged them to leave, and they left in a hurry. They left in a hurry. And they went out of that place. And God was leading them now. He had delivered them from, from this slavery. And he was now leading them to a promised land. What is that to, what are we to learn from that? When God saves us, first of all, it's by the blood of the Passover lamb. It's the blood of Jesus that is applied in our lives so that we could be one, one, uh, one of God's. We could belong to God. He would save us, deliver us from, from sin when he sees that blood applied in our lives. What happens after salvation? Because so many people think uh, salvation is just saying some words, I believe in Jesus, and then you just go on and live your life. Not so. Salvation is the beginning of this new life that God has you on. It's the birth experience, and now there's a life to be lived. And so God wants us to live. The picture in Israel, we haven't gotten to this all in Exodus, they are marching towards the promised land. In other words, God is preparing them how they are to live after he has saved them. That's why we're in church today, so that God will show us, we read his word, what does, now that he saved me from sin, now he's given me eternal life, what does he want me to do with my life? My life belongs to him, and he has the right to direct me. 
So in Exodus, God directs them. He gave them this, this, uh, um, this ceremony of the Passover lamb, uh, 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 gave them uh, many guidelines on how to worship him, which included the Ten Commandments and the, uh, uh, all of the rules and guidelines he had for worship. Now, we've been spending a lot of time going over all of that. They were to build the necessary uh, 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 items for, for worship for the tabernacle. We have stated that the tabernacle was basically a, a, uh, uh, a mobile worship center, okay, that they could take with them along this journey. They could set it up where God said, set camp here. They were to set it up, and they could worship everywhere that they went. Uh, you'll know that when they finally got into the promised land, God led them to build a temple, and then the tabernacle was replaced. But here we see the tabernacle, the use of it, and the detailed instructions for how to to make it. Now in chapter 40, look what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, erect the tabernacle. They had made all the items they needed. They had put this, uh, they, had all, they had, had all the things, and now they were to put it all together so it could be used for the first time. I want you to notice a little bit of the timing here. So I want to read verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now skip with me down to verse 16. It says, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did in the first month in the second year. On the first day of the month. In other words, the second year after leaving, one year after leaving Egypt, now they were ready to erect the tabernacle that God had instructed them to make. I want you to get a sense that a lot of work was done during this year. And it wasn't a lot of time spent. God had brought them out of Egypt, and now he was preparing them for life with him, a life of worship with him. You'll also notice that this is the first month. Um, back in chapter 12, well, let's just take a look at, at that real quickly. If you turn with me to chapter 12 of Exodus, I just want you to get a sense for this timeline. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Continue. It says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for a household. So he's going over the guidelines for the Passover meal that they were to take. It was to be the start of their year, the first month of that year. And they were instructed how to, to, to do the, the Passover lamb. Now, a year later, they have they have made everything for the tabernacle, and they were to set it up. Just one year has taken place. Now the tabernacle is set up. 
Look at verse 33. He erected the court. And at the end of that, it says, so Moses finished the work. In other words, he put this all together, and they have the tabernacle for worship. Then what happens? Look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is erected, and God brings his anointing on this tabernacle by his presence. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. In other words, God is saying, I am coming down to dwell with my people, to commune with my people, to interact with my people. Notice what it says in verse 36 Throughout all their journeys, when, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. In other words, this is how God directed them. This is how God led them from place to place. His presence was with them. It was pictured in this cloud or this fire that was right there it was set down there. In other words, it's saying, here's where I want you to be. And it was a time, when it was time for them to leave that place, the cloud would lift up and go to the next place that they were to be. And it says throughout all their journeys, it would, God would do this. He would lead and be with his people. Now, I know we, we've gone through a lot to get to this point, but you need to understand the very simple point here is that God is with his people. God is with his people to direct them, to commune with them, and to, to, to show them what he would have them to do. I want to look at a few verses in Scripture that, that bring this point out. The first is a New Testament verse in Hebrews 13, 5. You may not see anything new here, but what you will see is something very profound, something very important that God does. Hebrews 13, 5. It says this. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice the context. The context is in, it's in the context of being content with what God has. Why should we be content with what God has given us? Because he says, I've given you me. I will always be with you. In whatever situation you find yourself in, God says, I am there with you. My presence is with you. That's what he was demonstrating to Israel, that now that this is set up, I have come down and my glory has, 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 has been placed on this tabernacle and I will lead you and I will be with you always. I ask the question, how did this happen, and to whom did it happen? Was, was this a, a 
righteous, godly, perfect group of people? No. No. We've seen some of their escapades. We've seen how they have disappointed God. Soon as God gave instructions to Moses for how they were to live, before he could even come down with a mountain, come down from the mountain with those Ten Commandments, they had already violated what God had already told them. But God was gracious towards them. And he continued to be with them. He continued to instruct them. And now he's given them these instructions. They've completed these instructions. And he says, I will be with you. Now, in the Hebrews passage, he says, be content with what you have. Why? Because I am with you. In other words, we often pray for so many things. But what we ought to do is remember that thing we don't even have to pray for because God makes it a constant for every believer. He says, I am with you. When Jesus instructed his disciples and gave them his last instructions, we see that in Matthew 28, says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? Because he sent his Holy Spirit to be with every believer. He sent his Holy Spirit. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, look, I'm leaving this place. A little while I'll be with you and a little while I won't be here anymore. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew his disciples were going to be confused by all of that. And he knew that his disciples would miss him greatly and would want him to stay there, but he wasn't going to stay. He said, no, I'm not going to stay, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to send you my helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. Don't you love that the Holy Spirit is called the comforter? He's called a comforter because his presence is there continually with his people to comfort them, to encourage them, to let them know you are not alone. You do not face the challenges of life by yourself. God has not left his people. He's not deserted his people. He has not forsaken his people. He is forever with his people. When you wake up in the morning to pray, you ought not to say, God, please be with me. You ought to say, thank you, God, because you're here. Thank you because you promised to be with me and you are here. I don't have to do anything for that promise. It's a constant that you have given me. You've laid that down for me. You've made it a promise, a constant that you'll never, ever leave me. Think about our human relationships. The one thing that, 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 that we are always timid about relationships is how much am I giving to this person and how much do they give back to me? Can I depend on them? Can I trust them with my deepest affection and love? God said, you don't have to worry about that because it ain't even equal. You're going to get way more than you ever give when you're in relationship with God. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know what? None of us can even say that. Not a one of us can brag like that. I remember Peter, Brian was just preaching this yesterday. He was talking about Peter in John chapter 13, and I was actually teaching this in, in, in our own discipleship on Tuesday. In John chapter 13, uh, uh, Peter says, hey, Lord, I, 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 you know, some people might, might betray you, but I'll be with you all the time. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, really? Oh, really? Before the night is over, you're going to deny even knowing me. You're going to deny associating with me before this, this very night is over. And he did. But Jesus goes back to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter's a little embarrassed now. That pride that he had, that zeal that he had, he's a little embarrassed because he couldn't keep. You know, he, they say his, his, his mouth was selling tickets that, that it, the rest of him couldn't, couldn't cash in on, right? That's how Peter was, but that's how all of us are. We cannot commit ourselves to the faithfulness that God has for us. What we need to say is, thank you, God, for your faithfulness to me. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Say, God, by your power, I'm going to live for you. By your grace, I'm going to live for you. It's God's power that allows us to do that, but he's promised his presence with us. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. We see this same thought emphasized again. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. The context here is Moses, as the leader of Israel, has died, and God had called Joshua to be the leader. Imagine how Joshua felt. He had been with Moses through all, uh, many of these experiences. He had learned much from Moses, but he also knew Moses was a great man. And now he was in his shoes. I would imagine he had a little bit of fear, a little bit of reluctance as to how he was going to step in place when Moses had failed in, in areas and, and who could compete and be on the level that Moses was on. But God said to Joshua, verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. It's interesting, as the start of, of Joshua taking on the leadership reigns, God reinforces this with him. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. To cement this relationship, God makes his promise. Joshua, you're human. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have some good things. You're going to fail in some things. But let me guarantee you this. I will be with you. God gives that same promise to you and me. Ups and downs you go through. God's not encouraging those downs. He's not giving you a, a license to fail. But what he's saying is, at those times that you fail, I will be with you. At those times that you succeed, it's because of me. I am with you. I will never forsake you. God says this to Joshua to encourage him in in his role that God had called him to. In Proverbs, excuse me, in Psalms chapter 37, verse 25, I want to look at that too. Psalm 37, verse 25. I want to start with verse 23. If you're there, say amen. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. 
I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. In other words, God doesn't do that. He doesn't throw away his kids. He doesn't forsake them and leave them all alone. The psalmist can say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. What encouragement through trials. You're going to have trials. <laughs> You're going to have challenges. But God promises that he will not forsake you. That's an individual promise that you can hold on to. I know a lot of preachers like to give promises that, that sound good. You know, you, God has a, has a special plan for you. In other words, he's going to make you rich. He's going to bless you with great health. He's going to do all these things. God, God's promise is this. He will never leave you. He is ever present with you. So when you go through that challenge, you have times when you wake up in the middle of the night and there's thoughts roll, circling in your head. But you, no matter what those are, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You, you, you feel all kinds of anxiety coming on. But here is what steals you. Here's what steals me. God says, I'm there. And I will not go away. I will be with you forever. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So when God's presence was, his glory was on that tabernacle. He was showing that his presence was with his people to encourage them in this walk and in this journey that they had. You see, when you get saved, your journey isn't over. It's just started. But God says, I am with you through this journey, through the challenges that you're going to face. I am there with you. We enjoy, on the third Saturday, we take a team to Milwaukee Rescue Mission, and we have an opportunity to just speak God's word. And I often hear men talk about praying to God for help in whatever their challenges is, is addiction or whatever, and sometimes they phase it this way. I'm praying that God will take the taste of this. Maybe it's cigarettes or take the taste of alcohol. Maybe it's the taste of, of drugs or that desire for those things. I pray that God will take that away from me. I'm not sure that God works that way. In other words, he doesn't just magically snap his fingers and say, you will never want any crack, any cocaine, any, any, any alcohol, any drug, sex. You will never want any of those things again. Let me say it this way. He never worked that way with me. There is still temptation and lust that there. What he does is his presence is there with me to combat that. I'm not combating it by myself, by my power. I'm combating it by the Holy Spirit's power that's been given in me and that lives within me. In other words, God's saying, you're going to continue to battle for the rest of your life. 
The difference is you want to win inside now. The winner's living in you. But you have to rely on him and walk with him. God is saying to Israel, I'm a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I'm the cloud that sits here on the tabernacle and tells you where to go. But you got to follow. God can say, get up and they say, oh, no, we comfortable right here. You go on and we'll meet you later. God can say, stop, but no, no, we want to keep going. We don't want to stop. This is desert. Ain't nothing happening here. You got to follow the Lord. But the point is God is saying he's, he's with his people. He is always with his people. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to notice a number of things. <clears throat> he says, verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Well, we can talk about what that ministry is. He's talking about himself and God has given him this, this ministry of giving the gospel out. And he goes on to say, it's not always a glorious thing. But he's saying, I don't give up. I don't lose heart. And he says it, why? His ministry is to proclaim the gospel. In verse 3, he says that. <clears throat> he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, I'm trying to give the gospel, but some people are blind. They can't see it. My ministry is to give that gospel. Verse 4, he says, Satan blinds them. But what we do, verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. In other words, our ministry is to proclaim Jesus Christ. That's a tall task. Because people who need to hear the gospel can't see. They're blinded to the truth of the gospel. And it's like we're preaching to stones. You ever talk to somebody and, and they just phase out on you? You know they're not with you. You, you. you know they don't get what you're saying. They might be agreeing, but they don't get it. And you can see right through it. That's how it is when we give the gospel. It's like it, it, they're not understanding, they're not receiving, they're not taking in what we're giving. And there's a reason for that. Satan has blinded their eyes. Verse 6, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. In other words, God stepped in our situation and opened our eyes so that we could receive what he had to give us. And now he shines through us to present to others. But then here's the problem, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's an interesting uh, uh, statement there. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? It's the gospel in us. It's the love of God in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. We have all of this, but he says it's in jars of clay. Now, clay is fragile. You drop it, it's going to shatter to pieces. He said our bodies are like clay. In other words, we're going to go through a lot of uh, stress, a lot of challenges, a lot of bruises because of these physical bodies that we have that just don't get it. They, 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 they're trouble. They, there's always something going on 
in our bodies and in this life that we live. Let me go on because the point that, that he gets is, is this. Let me finish verse 7 and get on to verse 8. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says the reason why God gave us this in these jars of clay is not to magnify how good we are because we're fragile like jars of clay. It's to show how great he is to work in these fragile jars. And then he goes on to state this. Look at this verse. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. See, here's the picture of, of what it means to be a true believer. This is a tough life, he's saying. There's a lot of challenges that go with it. He says, we are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Do you get the picture? There's a lot going on with believers, but it doesn't lead to despair. We are persecuted, here's what he says, but not forsaken. There's times when we feel like God has, 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 we have gone through so much, God must have left. But he says, that's not true. That's not true. We're persecuted. We go through a lot of trouble, but we are never forsaken. And then it says, struck down. In other words, attacked. Sometimes physically attacked, but not destroyed. Go back to verse 1. He says, we do not lose heart. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. <laughs> You get an idea that this passage is about that. Look at chapter 3, the, the, the chapter before, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we don't lose heart. In the chapter 5, it says, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Verse, verse, uh, verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. The point is, is that God is with us through our struggles, through our journey, just like he was with Israel, through their journeys, God is with us in our journey. Where's your journey leading you through? What are you struggling with? God didn't promise to take all the struggles away. What he promised to do is to be with you to help you overcome in the challenges that you face. I want to tell you, that's, that's, that's way better. That's way better. I know we, we like, well, Lord, why don't you just eliminate all the trouble? <laughs> he will. He will. He has a plan for that. It's called. He will eliminate every tear, every struggle. There won't be pain in heaven. There won't be suffering in heaven. There won't be sorrow in heaven. There won't be despair, discouragement. None of that in heaven. He's got that for us. It's just not here. But while we're here, he says, I will be your strength. I will be 
present with you in everything that you go through. Now, here's what I want you to practice this week. Here's what I want you to practice. Start your prayer this week. Lord, I thank you for being with me now and being with me always. Then pray. Then pray. Start with a thankfulness that God has promised to be with me always. That means he is with me now. And he equips me to face the challenge that I'm going to face. I don't know how he's going to equip me. I don't know what's ahead. But I know that he is with me. Father, I pray you would impress us as you did with Israel. You said that throughout all their journeys that the people could observe, physically observe with their eyes your presence with them. Now, we walk by faith and not by sight, and so we can't physically observe that, but we physically observe your promise in your word. And so we are aware of what you said that you will always be with us. Lord, we do note that this promise is to your people. This promise is to those who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Ever since that moment, you have entered into that individual to live with them. And you will never leave or forsake them. We thank you for that promise. Help us now, Lord, to walk in light of that promise on the journeys that you have us go on, to walk in light of that promise. You said elsewhere in your words, you've given us the Holy Spirit as the earnest, as the down payment. It's like you're saying, hey, there's more where this came from, and you're going to get all of that when you finish the journey. So I thank you, Lord, for that promise of your Holy Spirit. Lord, right now, I pray for saints who are burdened, who are challenged, who are coming against a trial or hardship right now in their life, Lord. And they need your presence right now. I can be thankful, Lord, that you promise your presence is there already. Help them to acknowledge that and be aware of that and thank you for that. Lord, we can't see you. You are a spirit. Those of us who know your word is true, we don't have to walk by sight, by what we can physically see. We walk by faith, what we know to be true because you said it, that you are with us. Speak to your people now. Let them know whatever journey you have them on, you will take them through it. You will be with them. You are with them. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just say hallelujah. Thank you for your goodness. We don't know what's ahead, Lord, but we know you are there with us right now. We thank you for that. 
Help us now to walk by faith in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.